listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Let's look at our text. Luke chapter 19. We're going to read verses 28 all the way through verse 40. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As they rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. It was the spring of the year A.D. 30. Jesus is making his final pilgrimage down from Galilee into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. This is something he had done many, many, many times in his life on an annual basis. But this time traveling with him was a multitude of his disciples and followers, Galilean pilgrims, who have also joined him on this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And as they were making this several-day journey down to Jerusalem, there was a growing expectation and conviction among this crowd that the time has finally been fulfilled. You see, Israel had been without a true king for really centuries. I mean, there was Herod the Great and his dynasty. At this point, his grandson was on the throne. But but really, Herod's family were outsiders, and they were colluders with Rome. This is not what the Jewish people wanted and expected in their king. They wanted God's own king chosen by God and one of them, someone who represented them. And they had this conviction that what the prophets told about centuries before, now's the time when it's going to happen. And so as they're heading to Jerusalem from Galilee, they're coming to Jerusalem not just to celebrate Passover, even though that's part of it, But they're expecting that when they finally arrive in Jerusalem, this man, Jesus, is the one who will be crowned king and his kingdom will finally be launched. The one we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. Now, of course, they expected that when we get there, there's going to be a great battle. Because the 
Herodians and the Sadducees and the temple elite and the Romans, they're not going to take this lying down. No, they're going to fight back. So there's going to be a great battle. They, they anticipated that. But they assume, well, Jesus, he's going to win that battle. And then he's going to be crowned king and his kingdom is going to be established. The kingdom of God is going to come upon the earth. And by that, in their minds, what they mean is we're finally once again going to have a nation of people under the very rule of God. This was their hope. And it was mixed with a lot of fear and anxiety about this great battle that they were anticipating was going to happen. But there was also a sense of tremendous hope and joy about this king and his final coronation. So they leave Jericho, the last stop, and they're on the last leg of their journey up to Jerusalem, literally up. They're on this steep ascent into Jerusalem as they finally make it over the crest of the Mount of Olives, right near the town of Bethany. Jesus halts the procession and he says, wait a moment. He says, you two disciples, I want you to go into that little village over there. You're going to find a, a, a donkey, a, a young colt, a foal of a donkey. I want you to bring that donkey to me. And so they do. And, and when the donkey arrives, Jesus sits atop this donkey. It's, it's too small for him. I'm sure his feet were dragging on the ground. But he sits on this donkey and he begins to ride down and descends the Mount of Olives. And as he's, as he's descending down the Mount of Olives, Understand, right in front of him, there's this beautiful panoramic view of the city of Jerusalem. To this day, it's probably the most stunning view in all of Israel. The whole city of Jerusalem is laid out right in front. It's right there. He, he's going to go down the Mount of Olives. He's going to cross the Kidron Valley. And then he's going to go up right into the temple enclosure. It's right there. And so this crowd of people, they are excited because this is the moment the atmosphere is electric. They have goosebumps on their arms and legs, and they're excited. And they start grabbing palm branches, and, and they wave them. The, the palm branch was a nationalistic symbol that dates back to Judah Maccabee. So, so it's, it's a proud, patriotic gesture to wave a palm branch. And they start shouting things like, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes, not in the name of Caesar, not in the name of Herod, not in the name of Rome, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And some of them get so carried away that they start ripping off their outer garments and they lay them on the ground in front of this donkey. It's an exciting parade of conquest. You see, whenever ancient kings entered into their capital city to begin their glorious reign, they never walked. Of course not. No, they always rode on the back of some powerful, majestic beast. Because the war horse was an emblem, it was a, it was a symbol of power and majesty, even for the ancient kings of Israel. Now the first few kings of Israel rode on the back of a white mule because horses were more or less forbidden in the Mosaic law. But after, after time, even Israel began to ignore that and they became like the Gentiles and so their kings would ride on the back of this powerful Warhorse, so that this image of a great conquering king riding on the back of a, a beautiful, majestic warhorse, it has become a universal symbol of power. 
This is what power looks like, even to this day. You know, I've had the good fortune of being able to travel in different parts of the world. I've been overseas many times in different countries. And here's one of the observations I've made in just traveling the world, is that whenever you come into one of these major cities anywhere in the world, right in the middle of that city, usually there's a big plaza, a big square. It's where everything's built around. And right in the middle of that square, it doesn't matter what city you're in, right in the middle of that square, there's always a statue of some dude on a horse everywhere. If I'm in Washington, D.C., the dude is George Washington. But if I'm in New Orleans, it's Andrew Jackson, the hero of the War of 1812. But if I'm in some other country around the world, I may or may not know who it is. You know, if you're in London, it's probably one of the King Georges. If you're in St. Petersburg, Russia, it's, it's Peter the Great. But this, this, this image of, of this dude with a sword drawn in his hand, sitting on the back of a powerful war horse, this has become a universal global symbol of what power looks like. But then there are those of us who are Christians. How many Christians do we have in this room? Wow, we got a room full of them, wow. And for those of us who are Christians, well, we make the radical confession that all those dudes on all those horses have a king, and his name is Jesus. But when King Jesus rides into his city, he breaks protocol. And we don't see Jesus riding on the back of a powerful war horse. Rather, we see him riding on the back of a donkey and not even a full-grown donkey, a little kid donkey, a toy donkey that's almost too small for a grown man to ride. See, what, this, none of that's accidental. What's being said here? Well, the war horse is the symbol of pride. It's the symbol of power, military might, the will to dominate. But the donkey is the symbol of peace and humility and gentleness and co-suffering love. Now, I wanna do a thought experiment with you. I want you to use your imagination tonight. How many of you got an imagination? Okay. In fact, I had lunch with a Disney Imagineer this week. So I know, I know there's somebody, at least one person in the church has got an imagination. I want you to use your imagination. Let's fire it up. And, it, and this thought experiment involves a time machine. So I want you to get your time machine in your mind. Whatever you picture your time machine looking like, if it's a DeLorean, or a phone booth, or a hot tub, whatever your time machine happens to be, get your, get your time machine in your mind, and, and we're gonna, we get into your time machine, and we're gonna set our coordinates. If it helps you to close your eyes, close your eyes. Just don't fall asleep. But set your coordinates to the spring of AD 30. So we set it to the spring of AD 30, we get in the time machine, we fire it up, zip, we zip across time, and boom, we land, we arrive. And we're now in the year A.D. 30. It's this spring. It's Passover week, and we find ourselves in Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem, all around us, is bustling with activity. I mean, it, we, it, the whole city's packed like a can of sardines during Passover because hundreds of thousands of Jewish pilgrims have traveled and come to Jerusalem from around the world to celebrate Passover. And so they're all there. There's maybe 2 million people in a city that normally has maybe 100, 200,000. 
And so it's jam-packed, and there's all this noise and activity around us. And, and along with all of these Jewish pilgrims, remember, there's also going to be a whole lot of Roman soldiers. There's going to be a pretty powerful Roman presence in Jerusalem during Passover. Why? Because if there's ever going to be a rebellion, if there's ever going to be a Jewish revolt, it's probably going to happen in Jerusalem during Passover. Why? What is Passover? What are they celebrating? Well, all these hundreds of thousands of Jewish pilgrims have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the liberation of their ancestors from Egyptian oppression. And so they've gathered in Jerusalem for Passover, and during this week especially, there's so much patriotic fervor and anti-Roman fervor. And so this is a situation that is ripe for revolution. All it needs is a spark. So even the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who hates Jerusalem, he hates going to Jerusalem, but he goes to Jerusalem for Passover week just like he does every year because his number one job is to keep the peace. And if he fails at that peace, he's going to be removed. So Pilate is in Jerusalem along with legions of Roman soldiers, and they're all stationed at strategic points around the city to serve as a police force to keep the peace. So we're there in Jerusalem. I want you to imagine with me. Keep your imagination going. And we're, we're there, and we find ourselves on the eastern edge of the city. And we, we, we're right outside of the eastern gate into the Temple Mount. Right in front of us on the other side, right below us, is the Kidron Valley. And just across the Kidron Valley is the Mount of Olives. So we're all gathered right here by the eastern gate into the temple enclosure. And standing with us, I want you to imagine, standing with us are about 19 or 20 Roman soldiers. Young teenagers, really, 17, 18, 19 years old. About a couple dozen of these guys. And one of them is a little bit older. He's the centurion. He's the one who's in charge. And so we're standing there with these Roman soldiers. And, and these Roman soldiers who are guarding this gate, they're checking people in. They're a little bit nervous because they're, they're hoping no trouble breaks out. And as we hang out with these guys, all of a sudden, they kind of perk up their ears because they hear just along the way, just across the valley, coming down that little path down the Mount of Olives, they hear some shouting and they hear some commotion. And as they kind of zero in and listen closely, they can make out what these people are chanting. And they start getting nervous because these chants are very dangerous and very subversive. The, this crowd of Jewish pilgrims, they're chanting things like, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Well, Israel's got a king. He's over there in his palace on the other side of the city. But these people, what they're saying is, no, there's a rival king. This man right here, blessed is he who, who is the true son of David who comes in the name of the Lord, the true King of Israel. And these soldiers start getting tense. They start feeling anxious. But then they, 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 they study this crowd of pilgrims and they see that the center of the whole thing, the, the, the person who's, they, they, start, they start looking at this crowd and they're like, look at this. Look at that guy. 
there's a, there's a little Jewish peasant riding on the back of a tiny little donkey. Look at there. And all of a sudden, they just sigh, and they're relieved because they're assuming, well, nothing's going to come of this. I mean, they know what it's supposed to look like when a great conqueror comes into a city. Just the day before, they watched Pontius Pilate make his entrance, his grand entrance into Jerusalem on the back of a powerful war horse with his huge legion of soldiers in this mighty show of Roman force. That's what it's supposed to look like. And yet here's this little peasant riding on the back of a donkey with a ragtag group of followers. So they're looking and they're just pointing and they're laughing and they get their iPhones out and they're taking pictures. And so we're there, and, and, and imagine that as this is happening, imagine we pull aside one of these soldiers, a little, little 17-year-old teenage Roman soldier with pimples on his face, and we pull him aside. His name is Claudius. And we say, hey, Claude, come see. And you say to Claude, you see what's happening right there coming down the Mount of Olives? You see that little procession and that peasant riding on the back of the donkey? Do you see that? And Claude's like, yeah, I see it. And you tell Claudius, you say, well, Claude, you're, you're not going to believe me. In fact, I, I'm totally sure you're not going to believe me, but I am from the future. I've got my time machine here. I actually come from 2,000 years in the future. And I just want you to know, Claudius, that what you're looking at right here coming down the Mount of Olives, this is destined to become one of the most famous events in all of human history. In fact, Claudius, what you're pointing at and laughing at right now, in fact, I don't, I don't even blame you. I get it. It looks silly to me too. But what you're looking at and seeing right now, 2,000 years from now, this is going to be celebrated and commemorated every single year in every culture around the world. They're going to call it Palm Sunday. In fact, Claudius, this entrance into the city of Jerusalem that you're watching right now unfold, as pitiful as it may look right now, this is destined to become, 2,000 years from now, from now this is going to become the most famous entrance of a king into his city that's ever happened. It's going to be way more famous than any entrance Julius Caesar or Alexander the Great ever made in their lives. 2,000 years from now, people aren't even going to know about that, but they're going to know about this. See, don't get your King JCs mixed up. King Julius Caesar rode into his city on the back of a war horse. But then there's King Jesus Christ who rides on the back of a humble donkey. So we finish our conversation with Claudius. Let's get back on our time machine one more time. And this time we're going to zip back even further, about three and a half centuries earlier from the first Palm Sunday which means we're going to find ourselves now right in the middle of the 4th century B.C., the time of Alexander the Great. Of all the dudes on all of the horses, Alexander the Great was, in that style, the greatest. Napoleon tried hard, a lot of others tried hard, but none of them were more prominent than Alexander the Great. He conquered land and territory all the way into India. And he was in Palestine. He was in the, what we call the Holy Land. He shattered the gates of Tyre in what we now call Lebanon. 
And Alexander the Great rode on the back of his war horse named Bucephalus. It's the most famous animal in all of history. I mean, there's Lassie, but your grandkids aren't even going to know who Lassie is. But Bucephalus is, we know about Bucephalus 2,500 years after the fact. We know his name. And Alexander the Great rode on the back of Bucephalus and led his army from Lebanon deep down into Gaza, the land of God's people, to conquer them. And this inspires a Hebrew poet who was also a prophet named Zechariah. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Zechariah and he pens this prophetic poem that was a direct challenge to Alexander the Great and all of the dudes on all of the horses. And his poem goes like this, Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, Alexander didn't ride tiny little donkeys. And neither does Alexander come in humility. He comes with great hubris and arrogance. But this is a different king. And watch what this king does. Verse 10. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. See, Palm Sunday is the direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9. When the world's true king comes riding on a donkey. And five days after Palm Sunday, the world's true king is crowned with a crown of thorns. And five days after Palm Sunday, the world's true king takes his throne, which is a cross. And five days after Palm Sunday, the world's true king wages a great battle. And he wins that battle when he prays, Father, forgive them. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Showing us what true power looks like. And in the earliest Christian hymn that we know anything about, it was dated within the first half of the first century. It tells the story of how Christ became king. And the lyrics to that oldest Christian hymn go more or less like this. Philippians chapter 2. Look at this. this. I'm going to read this and then I want us to close. This is what they would sing every Palm Sunday. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's, that's the song that our earliest brothers and sisters in Christ sang on their Palm Sundays. And in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, it gives us this great image. It's a metaphor. It's not... 
Don't literalize it. It's a metaphor. But we're given this image of Jesus riding on the back of a white horse, ruling the heavens and the earth. And on his head, he's wearing a crown, but it's not a crown of thorns. It's a glorious crown. In fact, it's not even just one crown. It's many crowns because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and he's wearing a, a robe that's been dipped in blood, but it's not the blood of his enemies. It's his own holy blood. And he's got a sword, but it's not a sword that he's drawn with his hand. It's a sword in his mouth because he is the word of God. And I am one who's been slain by that sword and raised to newness of life. And so the world's true king is given all authority in heaven and earth, and he has made Lord right now. He's not Lord to come. He's not Lord in waiting. Jesus is the king of the universe right now. But he was not given that authority because he was brash, rude, arrogant, and violent, but because he sat on the donkey, the throne of humility, peace, gentleness, and co-suffering love. And it's with that understanding that we sing every Palm Sunday, Hosanna, save us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.